trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. This is a safe space for wrong thinkers. Now, here's the irony. Wrong thinkers really don't require safe spaces. It's just that we're so hopelessly outnumbered these days. I don't know. I thought maybe people could appreciate somewhere they could uh, enjoy the camaraderie and companionship of people who are willing to question the narrative. Nobody does a better job of that than my friend Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, how are you today? Well, I'm good. The circus never ends. I just watched a clip of Dr. Fauci who says that we have, we're, we're, we're bad people because, and here's the quote, we don't adhere. We don't adhere to sensible public health measures. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I have to ask you, what's, what is the crisis today? It seems like there's always something new. Is it, is it the climate today? Is it Marburg virus? Is it Ebola? Or is it uh, some new uh, variant of COVID? Yeah, I don't know. It keeps accelerating. Let's pick one. Uh, apparently, I think the, 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 the mayor of New York City has declared monkeypox to be some kind of new crisis or emergency. I think the total death toll worldwide is something like five. That's a big massive figure. Uh, and I think the only way that you get monkeypox from what I've gathered is if you participate in gay orgies and otherwise you don't really have a whole lot to worry about. But nonetheless, here we go again. Oh man. Yeah. I, I know in, uh, in my home state of Idaho right now, there there's well, there's a possible monkeypox uh, transmission that's taken place. And I mean, this is a state of a couple million people, but one yep. case, you know, how long before somebody declares an emergency? I guess Gavin Newsom declared a uh, state of emergency because of monkeypox in California yesterday. Well, in California, there may be an emergency because of what goes on in California with regard to the things that tend to result in people getting the monkeypox. Monkey but we won't go there because this is a family-friendly show. Right. It's But, but the point that, that we're getting at here is there's always some crisis. And, and I think it's a pretty safe bet that we're going mm-hmm. to see another rolling out of, you know, with, with Fauci talking about, you know, we got to adhere more strictly to these to these guidelines. Clearly, there is going to be another rolling out of these guidelines. I can only assume that's going to mean more masks, more lockdowns, more forced vaccinations, I would presume. Yeah, I think uh, perhaps the greatest danger of the past three years has been the acceptance of this idea that we are in a crisis and the the allowing of the use of that word to define something that isn't a crisis by any objective measure. And that was used, of course, to lock down the, the economy and to characterize anybody who questioned it as a near criminal. And now they're going to elaborate that and use it against people who question and deny climate change, for example. And they're going to use the climate crisis to impose new lockdowns uh you know it's percolating up everywhere you can you can you can see it all over cnn the usual suspects are at it talking about oh one of the great things about uh about the lockdowns was that our carbon footprint decreased but now it's up again and they're you know they're just riotously reporting about uh everything that usually happens in summer oh my god it's 91 degrees in july oh, oh head for the hills. that's never you happened know? before <laughs> <laughs> There was a great screenshot capture. I wish I had, uh, I could convey this to you over the over the phone, but it's not possible. You may have seen it, and it showed a weather report from Europe, and I think it was about ten years ago. And you did the usual thing; it showed the map of the continent and showed the various temperatures in the various countries of Europe. 
fast forward to now, same map, and the temperatures are lower than they were 10 years ago. But rather than a green background, the background of the continent is now like piping hot red. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. No, it, 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 it looks like, oh, my goodness. We no longer live in Europe. We live in hell. Because you can see the, the hellfires burning. I mean, the only thing missing are devils with pitchforks tormenting those poor souls, you know, in all that summer yep. heat. Yep, yep. And that's exactly what, that's the right word. They are trying to create hell on earth by fomenting these endless serial crises, which are doing immense psychological damage to people, you know, particularly young people, kids growing up in this environment. You know, we take for granted, you and I and people who grew up when the world was basically sane, and there was only a crisis every once every several years maybe, and it was actually usually something real. And now it's every day. And after a while, you get fatigued by this. And you just become you become so tired of it that you're practically willing to, to tolerate anything just for them to shut up and go away. And, of course, they're never going to shut up and go away. That's the whole point of this exercise. You know, something that it has really brought home, and I know I've, I've heard you talk about this, is uh, there, there's been a great sifting in terms of people who are willing to face unpleasant facts and people who are just not going to face it because it's easier to just go along, put your head down and try not to draw attention to yourself. And it's sad. I think we probably have both seen uh, friendships or, or relationships Mm -hmm. that have gone by the wayside, not because we were looking for an excuse to reject somebody, but because um, that we were talking two worldviews that are just incompatible, you know, in terms of, are you going to comply or not? Yeah, there's that. And there's also this, what is it, that um, Munchausen by proxy syndrome, people who seem to revel and marinate in misery and finding things wrong with them, uh, you know, hypochondria. That's what we've been uh, dealing with, weaponized hypochondria. And now that hypochondria has been extended to the climate crisis, to the gun crisis. You know, there's an endless series of crises that people seem to want to marinate in negativity, uh, in badness, and uh, just accept this, this, this state of affairs where people are chronically miserable and constantly trying to blame external things for the lack of meaning and unhappiness in their own lives. Well, if uh, if the climate crisis doesn't get us, uh, it looks like uh, Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan might uh, might be a key catalyst in kicking off something even more dangerous. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe World War Three. Well, she's got to go there, I guess, because it's the money that they're paying. Ah. Too difficult to ship by air. Who knows? They got to hand her the bags in person. I don't know what what's going on with all of that. Uh, it just seems that again they are they are being deliberately provocative. That everything that can be done to make things worse is exactly what they'll do. Yeah, and and I have to laugh. I, th- this has brought out some of the dark humor in a few folks when China was threatening to shoot down Pelosi's plane if she went in with a fighter escort to Taiwan. Uh, someone mm-hmm. had posted, "Wait, is is this a peace offering? Are they on our side now?" <laughs> right, right. That's a measure of how bad things are. In fact, that we can look to China and Russia and think that perhaps uh, those countries are led by people who are better than the people who are leading this country. Well, if, if anybody has taught me about the power of sticking to your conscience and not giving up an inch, Eric, you are one of those great influences. I'm very thankful that uh, you hold forth several times a week on your website, ericpetersautos.com. I mean, you write about uh, automotive stuff, and I like that because I, I like things that, uh, that go fast. But uh, you've got a really good t- take on freedom as well, and I think you've been one of the people who has stood the line, haven't budged an inch, but I, but I don't think you've ever crossed into Alex Jones, you know, kind of mania in doing so. Well, no, uh, I, I, my, my point of view is that 
you have to start from the premise that what we're dealing with here are not well-intended and reasonable people. Ordinarily, um, you can you can work with other people that you have disagreements with because their goal is not chaos. It's not suffering. It's not uh, to make things worse. You may have a difference of opinion about something. Okay, let's figure it out. And we'll come to some kind of mutually agreeable compromise. I have this insight that the people that we're dealing with are menacing. They have uh, malignant motives. And there is no dealing with people like that. There is only saying no, period. That's it. There's no negotiation. And, you know, that may be hard, but it's absolutely necessary because if you give these people a millimeter, they'll take a mile. Boy, very true. And and again, looking at the opportunity that has come up over the difficulty of these past couple of years, and I'm not going to pretend this has been a cakewalk, but the great opportunity was for people to really find out where they stand. People who may not have contemplated that kind of thing before have had ample opportunity to, to do a gut check and really see, okay, what do I stand? What am I willing to compromise on? What am I not willing to compromise on? And I'm happy to see there's been quite a few people who've risen to the occasion and uh, they are stalwarts. Yeah. I mean, none of this is fun. Uh, a lot of it is very hard. I, I got into a, a little back and forth, a good back and forth on the website this morning with somebody about this whole masking thing. And I, I, uh, I replied that, look, my mom, as I think I've told you, and we've talked about on the air, who is in one of those memory care places for people who have Alzheimer's or dementia, uh, I have been able to visit her lately because they don't expect me to put on a face diaper to go in there. If they did, I won't go see her, you know, ever again if necessary. And that's a harsh thing, but it's a necessary thing because I will not have family ties leveraged against me, period. End of discussion. I will not enable this. It is a hard line for me. And the same thing with the vaccines and in the future, monkeypox and the climate crisis and all of it. The answer to all of these things is no, period, whatever the consequences of that may be, because if you don't, the consequences of it are going to be a lot worse. Amen. And, and I think one of the greatest things a person can do right now is develop an awareness when someone is trying to tweak your fear, or at least play to your fears. If you can figure out when, when, you know, your fear, it's like when someone's pulling on your leg, okay, when someone's yanking your chain trying to make you fearful, that's a time to absolutely be aware of what's going on and don't yield an inch. Eric, I got to take a quick break. Hang on, hold that thought for a second. I want to come back to that. We've got some other current events to discuss. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. My sponsors today include HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProsServices.com. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. All right, Eric, as we were going to break, I had to cut you off there, but I want you to go ahead and and finish your thought. Yeah, what I wanted to bring up, I think this is a critically important issue in terms of understanding the motives of these people. You know, that's a global term, but when I, I use it, I mean the people in the government, the authority, all of that. Rather than ease people's fears, you know, pointing out, okay, look, there is a threat to older people. There is a threat to people who are uh, already pretty ill from either obesity or, or hypertension or what have you. Yet those people, there's reason to be concerned. By and large, you know, the rest of you, there really isn't that much reason to be concerned. In other words, easing people's fears. They didn't do that. What did they do instead? 
They are constantly trying to exaggerate and hystericize the supposed threat, whatever it may be, whether it's the virus, whether it's climate change or monkeypox. And to me, that is strongly indicative of their motives. They are deliberately trying to terrorize the populace in order to suborn the population's submissiveness to their authoritarian decrees. Amen. You actually had a marvelous article uh, just a couple of days ago about uh, the threat of democracy. Maybe we could talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that. I hear that a lot. You know, the whole January 6th committee, why this is, you know, to defend our democracy, which was almost toppled yeah. on January 6th, 2021. Talk to me about uh, when they say democracy, I'm not sure that they mean what most people think they mean. Well, no, they, um, they, they, mean, they mean agree with or at least don't question uh, our rule when they talk about democracy. And what they're trying to do now, which is quite alarming, uh, and uh, other people are sounding the alarm, including Tucker Carlson, who I think is doing a bang-up job, uh, is that they are attempting to govern by criminalizing. If you question them, it's not that you disagree with them. It's not that you have a different point of view. You are a criminal. All this January 6th stuff is all about that. And they are going to try to frame anybody who questions the science about climate change in the same manner as they have done repeatedly over the course of the past three years with all of this stuff about the virus and the masking and, and the vaccinating. Look for a very good example of this is the Dr. Robert Malone, who was practically crucified and run out of the profession for stating facts and being clear-headed and honest. Uh, and this is a guy who has great standing to talk about the matter. And even now, even when the evidence is, is incontrovertibly there, that he was right and they were wrong, he still suffers for that. You know, and they would love, I'm sure, to put this guy into a gulag someplace. This is really scary and it's really dangerous. And the time is now to stand up and say, we will not abide this. By the way, I just got my second strike yesterday from uh, from YouTube and they had mm-hmm. to go back a full year. They they pulled something from my show from a year ago yeah. that uh, that apparently violated their their guidelines about medical misinformation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, hey, I take it as as a point of honor, but the bottom line is th- if they can find a reason to silence you, they being, you know, in this case big tech, yeah. they're looking for it and they will find a way to pull the plug. Sure. And I counsel anybody who has any kind of a presence on social media to not invest time and energy in social media such as YouTube, because it's inevitable that all that work that you put into it will be simply cut out from under you when you violate their opaque terms of service, whatever they may be. I encourage you to do as I have done. I used to post my car reviews and things on YouTube and go to Rumble or some other alternative. Don't waste your time. Don't sleep with the enemy. Hey, let's, in fact, speaking of the enemy, and maybe this is hyperbolic to to suggest that the press is the enemy, but right now Mm -hmm. in in my home state of Idaho, there is quite a bit of controversy uh, because a number of of legislators, particularly those who are principled and refuse to to get on board the latest woke bandwagon, are Mm -hmm. finding that it's just in their interest not to talk with members of the yeah. press. Now, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that, you know, they're trying to do things in dark. They have transparency through their offices and so forth. But when a reporter calls up and says, well, I've written a story on you and I'd like to get your comment, mm-hmm. these uh, legislators and, and other community leaders are largely saying, I'm not interested in talking to you. I'm not interested in playing yeah, your brand of gotcha journalism. That's right, because it's not journalism. There, there was a great clip of, I can't remember the person's name. I think she's running for the governor or senator in Arizona. And she was accosted by some reporter for CNN. And she shut her down really well, uh, saying that, you know, you're, you're dishonest. You're, you're not a reporter. You're a propagandist. In effect, those weren't the exact words. And just blew her off. And that's the way to handle these people. They're not legitimate. Uh, you know, it's far more legitimate to go on Rogan's show, Joe Rogan, 
uh, or, or to go on my website or to talk to you or to other people who are, who are fair and honest and are willing to discuss things and aren't there to try to smear you, make you look bad, take your words out of context, context edit you, and all of this other stuff. There comes a point when you're dealing with, with fundamentally malicious, fundamentally dishonest people that the best policy is just to not deal with them at all. No, I, I hear you. And and to some people that seems very extreme. Well, what have you got to hide? And it's like, no, I've, I'm actually making a conscious decision not to, to give you the legitimacy that you seem to think you deserve in, in my life. I don't need your approval to, to go out there and speak the truth as I understand it. Well, that's right. And you've got nothing to hide. You can absolutely talk with honest reporters, real people who are willing to give you uh, the benefit of the doubt, a fair shake, let the facts speak for themselves. It's just a tragedy that this is what's become of, and again, I'm speaking globally, of journalism, uh, you know, as a profession, that it has become this, 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 this rancid, cancerous propaganda machine rather than what it once was, which was, hey, let's go out there and figure out what's happening. Let's find the facts, bring facts forward draw conclusions from the facts, or at least let people draw their conclusions from the facts instead of proselytizing to them and shaming them uh, and, 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 and characterizing them as, as bad actors, as misinformation, as simply because they don't agree with whatever it is that you're trying to peddle to people. I like uh, how basically uh, the, the establishment reporters, the establishment uh, mouthpieces treat uh, anybody who's not a part of that authoritarian structure as, you know, wow, they're just, you know, they're, they're basically just, how do they put it? They're, there's a derisive term for it. Essentially, they're saying that uh, they're wannabe journalists. But I, I'll tell you, some of the best reporting I've seen are people who've just got out there and dug for the facts, found them, and reported them as they found them, rather than trying to spin them to please their corporate masters. It's the cry of the desperate. It's absolutely hilarious to me. I mean, you and I have talked about it before. Rogan, you know, here's a guy who's an ex-TV reality host, an MMF fighter, uh, just an ordinary guy, you know, like you and me, really who decided to have this podcast and, and, and he's got more viewers than CNN by a massive margin. And the reason for that, he just sits there and lets people talk and he asks intelligent questions and he lets the people answer the questions and they have this wonderful back and forth. And it is like an oasis in the desert. People are starved for that. He's not a professional journalist, but he is a more effective and better journalist than all of these well-poised people that you see on the so-called mainstream media, which isn't because increasingly nobody watches them anymore. Very true. And, and I have to agree with, with Rogan. One of the things that he brings to the table that's so rare these days is an open mind and a willingness to, to let people say their piece without having to scold them and, and guide them back mm-hmm. into the correct path of what they should be thinking. Yep. Yep, exactly. You know, you and I can remember when that characterized journalism. I mean, I grew up watching uh, investigative news programs like 60 Minutes, which were great. You remember that? Oh, yeah. You know, if we had something like that today, you'd have a, you'd have a 60 Minutes guy hounding Fauci. You know, and confronting him with his duplicity and, and his lying. And you'd see Fauci kind of like, you know, kind of like close in on himself as he walks quickly and tries to get through the door uh, and, and, and hide his face from the camera. What happened to that kind of journalism? It's just a tragedy. No, I completely agree. All right. I'm going to shift gears. we got about two minutes left here. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about what you see going on automotive wise that is either good, bad or otherwise. Well, I see something really good. Literally see it. Um, I've been watching lately videos on YouTube of some of my colleagues who focus more on doing video reviews of cars. I, I generally do more uh, long-form written articles. And they had been reviewing some of these electric cars, and particularly the electric trucks, and doing things like hooking up a trailer, a mm. relatively small trailer, like a 6,000-pound trailer, to Ford's half-ton electric F-150, which is called the Lightning. 
uh, and seeing what the range would be with a 6,000-pound trailer hanging off the bumper of the thing. And in one of these reviews, they, <laughs> the range of this thing plummeted 80 miles. And that's with a 6,000-pound trailer, which, you know, you know trucks like I know trucks. A half-ton truck, that's nothing for a half-ton truck. At least it wasn't once upon a time. You can only imagine the effect on the range if you put a 10,000-pound trailer on the oh, bumper yeah. of, this, of this thing. Wow. So, you know, that, that's really devastating because people who, who see these things are, are like, oh, my God, you know, maybe I should think of, wait a minute before I go out and get this electric truck. And the same with these electric cars. You subject them to any kind of real-world use, and the range plummets. The, the cat is coming out of the bag, just as it has with the mask and with the vaccine. You just have to be patient. All right, Eric, great to talk with you as always. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Also, thank you, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's give a shout out here to uh, one of our great sponsors. That is Garage Door Pros, located in the southwest corner of Utah, serving St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Nevada, and Colorado City, Arizona. Yeah, they got a pretty big territory, but you know what? They're more than up to it. And if you are looking for a local company to install, service, and repair garage doors, both commercially as well as residentially, these are the folks you need to talk to. Wonderful people. American-made garage doors. I know this matters for a lot of people. So if you want to do business with, uh, with American-made you know, products, here's your opportunity. Now, you can call Garage Door Pros at 435-525-2773. Better still, click on the link that I provide in my show notes under my sponsors, garagedoorproservices.com. I sure appreciate them being a sponsor, and I hope you'll consider doing business with them. So, long-time listeners are going to recognize the phrase, the fourth turning. For those who aren't so familiar with it, well, I'm going to share an article with you from Jeff Thomas, writing for International Man, that helps to describe this particular way of looking at historical cycles. And, you know, we, sometimes people, I think we're trained as kids, we see history as this timeline, right? You remember filling in timelines in school? Okay, so here's the date, 1620, and then from there we have this date and this name and this date and this name. And it's just this long line of people and events and names and dates. Fourth-turning methodology takes a little bit different look at the way that history unfolds. In fact, I think they make a very strong case. I know there are some who disagree, but it makes a very strong case that history tends to unfold in cycles, much like the seasons of the year. And as you listen to Jeff Thomas's uh, comments, you'll understand that uh, we are in the midst of uh, winter. Not just winter, but the deepest, darkest part of winter is just about upon us. Now, the good news is spring will be coming but if you're trying to navigate this particular fourth turning, and by the way, we've had others. The Great Depression and World War II, that was a fourth turning. The uh, war between the states and Reconstruction, that was a fourth turning. The American Revolution and the founding period that followed, fourth turnings, all of them. So the point is, yes, they're, they're not only survivable, but sometimes you actually come out better on the other side than you were going into it. Now, the last two turnings, I don't think that was necessarily the case. I don't know what this one holds, but I would like to share with you some thoughts from Jeff Thomas. He starts with a quote from Thomas Paine. These are the times that try men's souls. 
He says, so Thomas Paine wrote in 1775 in his publication of The American Crisis. Not so well remembered today are the words that followed that famous quote. He said, tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. Now, at that time, Jeff Thomas writes, colonial America was passing through the early stages of a fourth turning, an historical time of crisis that occurs roughly every 80 years. As a point of reference, a first turning is a period of renewal, one in which a historical crisis has ended. The populace has risen to the occasion, thrown off tyranny, and conquered social, political, and economic tribulation. Having done so, they now create a renewal based on hard work, personal responsibility, and moral integrity. A second turning occurs a generation later when the rewards of a first first turning have resulted in prosperity and stability. Those new adults who've grown up during a first turning will be well-off and seek to pursue high-mindedness and social concerns, but along the way, they will also pursue self-indulgence, and that means a deterioration begins. In a third turning, again a generation later, complacency sets in. Politically, those individuals who are sociopathic, that's a clinical aberration estimated at about 4% of any society at any given time, they tend to be the ones who rise in political spheres, replacing the older generation of responsible people. They tend to raise taxes, increase social welfare programs, and increase government spending in every way, really any excuse to seize increased power over the populace. And then in a fourth turning, again a generation later, power having been seized, The sociopaths seek total power, the elimination of all freedoms to be replaced by totalitarian rule. So historically speaking, in a third turning, the complacent people make it possible for sociopaths to take power. But in a fourth turning, that's when the sociopaths exert that power. Now, Jeff Thomas says it matters little whether the excuses put forward by political leaders are climate control or racial equity or CBDCs or cancel culture, owning nothing, digital IDs, transhumanism, vaccine mandates, or a Green New Deal. The object is singular, total dominance of the ruling class over the subservient class. And any excuse will do if it has totalitarian rule as its outcome. He says in any fourth turning, those who are more thoughtful and forward-thinking will begin to make sense of the ruse, but they find themselves being heavily criticized by all and sundry. The media will do all within their power to slap down those who denounce the ruling class, but more to the point, the greater portion of the populace will remain in their slumber and resist the awakening strenuously. And he says it is such a, at such a time that the few who have figured out the ruse experience their greatest challenge, which is whether to speak out or whether to just go along. So the group must struggle in the darkness to a great degree, as the majority of the population fight against an awakening as it disturbs their complacency, and it's too horrendous to contemplate. The latter half of a fourth turning becomes a chaotic and confusing period, one in which many people desperately hope to just get along, whilst those who are more visionary become increasingly aware that their freedoms are being flushed away on a wholesale basis. Jeff Thomas says, and whilst it is the smaller, more visionary group that creates the spark of change, It is historically a different and unlikely group that actually creates the substantive change in the latter half. The group that turns the tide is the group that I often unflatteringly refer to as the hoi polloi, the average guy. He says at some point, 
The average guy who simply wanted to be allowed to get on with his life, go to work, mow the lawn, sit on the couch with a six-pack, and watch the game, has had his life so disrupted by the ruling sociopaths and their increasingly manic oppression that he accepts that he must turn off the TV and do something. He's not a leader, but a joiner. So when in Ottawa, Canada, a few truckers staged a small demonstration and the average guy saw it on the news, he got in his truck and joined. Now, he may have had no real idea of how events might develop. He simply added what weight he had to the effort. But the very fact that he is the average guy, that the bulk of the population is made up of average guys, makes their collective weight greater than those who may have been more inspired thinkers and, more importantly, greater than the weight of the oppressors. So as simplistic as a convoy of Canadian truckers may be, their numbers become their strength. More to the point, they carry with them the sympathies of, the av- of other average people who came out to cheer them on, bring them food, and donate money. Now, not surprisingly, their achievement is brief, as it's so simplistic, but they do succeed in bringing about a temporary change, setting government back on its heels. Then a few farmers in the Netherlands hear about the Canadians and decide to uh, drive their tractors into the city. And it happens again. And it, it keeps happening. Now, throughout history, it's been the same. In 1775, when Paul Revere rode into Lexington and Concord, it's quite unlikely that he shouted courageously, To arms! To arms! Because that would have been treason. And treason was one of only three capital offenses at the time. Most likely, he went to a few back doors and spread the word quietly. After all, the people of America were at that time British. The hoi polloi of the day, especially those of middle age or older, were relatively successful. They had a lot to lose. They didn't approve of revolt. They were willing to pay pay the small stamp tax that had triggered it. They argued vociferously in the House of Burgesses to just get along, but a few firebrands who kept up their challenge and eventually were joined by farmers and shopkeepers who, like the truckers, had had enough and decided to do something. Now, Jeff Thomas says, for those of us who saw the warning signs early, decades ago, the first half of the fourth turning has been extraordinarily distressing. The globalists have been thorough in their planning and have successfully executed the removal of freedoms with great stealth that we assumed any thinking person should have seen coming. But he says most people are not thinkers. Most people go along. They continue to go along until right up until the moment that they don't. So he says Thomas Paine was correct. These are the times that try men's souls. Paine was a visionary who through his writing attempted to bring about an awakening. Now, an awakening only happens gradually, but the point arrives when the common man has had about enough. He may not be intellectually inspired, but his collective weight is, and throughout history has been, the turning point. And Jeff Thomas says, we are now on that cusp. So why am I sharing this with you? (laughs) You may not like me when I give my answer here. It's because I believe that uh, you and I are part of those uh, who are either awakening or fully awake. And that means we have some responsibility. And that doesn't mean grab your pitchforks, grab your torches, we're headed for the streets to, you know, protest and, you know, violently resist this. Nope, it starts with awareness and then progresses through recognition of where moral authority derives. And when government loses its moral authority, more so than just violently rising up, we have a duty to withdraw our consent and to build what comes next. Kind of a scary thought, right? But that's where we are. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to briefly mention two great sponsors who make this program possible. They include HSLAmmo.com and also LifesavingFood.com. Now, the name should be pretty explanatory, I would think. Uh, you know, HSLAmmo.com, high-quality, new and remanufactured ammunition. Definitely something that, uh, that you can use to turn money into skill. Also, LifesavingFood.com, food storage, emergency preparedness supplies, ways to strengthen your position in a very unpredictable world. I've got links in my show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Click on them. They'll take you directly to these sponsors. And please consider doing business with them. Or, if you're not in need of what they offer at this moment, pointing someone who does need that particular product or service in their direction. All right. Jumping back into things here, how do you fight back against the folks who are working so hard and so openly right now to implement global domination over all of us? I mean, the Great Reset, there are still some primarily within mainstream media circles that are, well, it's just nothing but a conspiracy theory. But no, it appears Klaus Schwab and company have been pretty open about what they want to do. I mean, come on. They come right out with promo materials. You will own nothing and be happy. You will eat the bugs and be happy. We will all do without air conditioning and be happy. I don't know about you, but that's, that's the kind of uh, central planning that just seems doomed to failure. I mean, it's, it's, I'm sure it's, it's well-intended, wink, wink, but the amount of coercion and the amount of denial of human rights that goes into achieving such a uh, utopia is unacceptable, at least for anybody who understands what their rights are and is willing to claim them, use them, and defend them. So how do you fight back? J.B. Shirk, writing for AmericanThinker.com, says, you fight it back one inch at a time. He says this fight against Great Reset Communism is a struggle that many Americans didn't see coming. As such, they're just now awakening to the massive globalist threat of the World Economic Forum's planned New World Order. They went to bed one night believing that most Americans share a common sense of values, an appreciation for American history, and a patriotic dedication to liberty and freedom. And then they rose in the morning to discover that their founding fathers were now considered racist, their education system could no longer distinguish boys from girls, the national security surveillance state monitored all their moves and socialism had taken over the free market economy under the guises of central bank money printing, unsustainable government spending, ESG manipulation of stocks, racial redistribution programs, COVID-1984 fear campaigns, and apocalyptic tales of climate change. Now, he says the barrage of so many crises at once is alarming, but it's also intentional. Sowing rampant doubt and uncertainty among a population creates opportunity for any hostile force. A disoriented and fractured society is a society ripe for conquering. And before every great invasion, target nations are first pounded with a cacophony of cannon blasts and blinded with a certain with a curtain rather of sulfuric smoke to create confusion, crumble defenses, and cripple resolve. And that's what we have today. He says, notice that there's nothing about American life that could be mistaken as uniting. Twitter and Facebook spend most of their corporate energy punishing citizens for their bad thoughts. When you attend a ball game, a public service announcement plays over the loudspeaker, listing all the things you're not allowed to say out loud. Movies, television shows, and songs, songs rather have swapped out inspiration and reverie for nonstop messaging inciting grievance, envy, 
anger, and violence. Religious faith is mocked as anti-science. Masculinity is attacked as as toxic. Motherhood is demeaned as old-fashioned. Families are ridiculed as colonial. And hard work is reviled as white supremacist. So Shirk says, when you're being pounded daily with such nonsensical psychological barrages, it's time to focus and remember that waves of mass propaganda always precede any boots-on-the-ground invasion. Make no mistake, he says, the globalist horde are at the gates, and they mean to conquer us. Chaos is their calling card. Carnage is their weapon for seizing control. Crisis is their brand, and it's all by design. Every national issue is meant to rub salt into the wounds of some group of Americans. Every government program is used to blame one group of Americans for another group of Americans' perceived problems. Think about how the politicians go about that. He's right. And he says this isn't normal. It's not normal for a national government to intentionally cause economic destruction, racial conflict, and social misery. It's not normal for political leaders to care more about Ukraine's borders than our own southern border. It's not normal for a U.S. president to hand our emergency petroleum stockpiles over to an adversarial China. It's not normal for the federal government to let hostile foreign powers gobble up American farmland and critical industry infrastructure. And it's not normal for the United States to hand its sovereignty to the bureaucrats of unelected international institutions and champagne socialists of the World Economic Forum and its fraternity of globalist social clubs. It's not normal for the U.S. military to replace its best and strongest warriors with woke pretenders who couldn't withstand a strong breeze but cower in tears from the violence of words. J.B. Shirk says the only time any of this is normal, in fact, is when such destructive acts are part of a larger operation to bring down a company, or a country rather, within its ranks. From within its ranks. So what we have today is national sabotage of the ugliest kind. Treachery orchestrated by malicious Americans in name only, who insist they're acting for our own good. They hide their intentions behind imaginary virtues, but what they spout is pure propaganda. You're either with them or you're a racist. You either support their goals for a centrally controlled economy or you are killing the planet. You either understand why they must lock you up in your home during emergencies or you're anti-science. You either accept tainted elections or you're an insurrectionist. You either support government power absolutely or are an extremist. You either embrace their absurdities or are hateful. You either support their mass programs for re-education or you're dangerous. Like a political prisoner being brainwashed into compliance, you will either obey or suffer the consequences. And he says the brainwashers will not relent until Americans accept their new normal and America is destroyed for good. Now, here's the good news. This is the good part. That's where we come in. The outliers and misfits, the rebels and rule breakers, the ones willing to throw a little sand in the gears of the Great Reset until it grinds itself, grinds against itself, buckles, splinters, and breaks. Systems are strong when they're self-sustaining, but when they develop naturally through voluntary cooperation, that's when they tend to last. When they depend upon force, propaganda, and coercion to survive, just a strong kick to the right part of their artificial edifice collapses the whole monstrous tower of lies. He says, communism at its heart, after all, is nothing but a system of lies meant to keep the powerful on top and the powerless enslaved. Within its web of lies, however, is our salvation. You pull out one rivet, then another, and another, until all that's left standing is a wobbly, unwieldy mass unable to support its own weight. Now, here's some really straightforward truth. 
J.B. Shirk says, life is struggle. It doesn't matter whether you're taking the next hill under heavy artillery fire or fighting to get food on the table for your family. Every inch gained can feel like an excruciating battle. You put enough of those inches together, however, and it's often astonishing to realize how far you've advanced. And it's the little things that will end up having the biggest effects in the end. People start rejecting woke school indoctrination for real education and trade skills. Struggling families learn once again how to grow their own food and depend upon the talents of their own communities. Government propaganda is ignored while private distribution of Samizdat flourishes. Hunting and gun ownership thrive. 3D printers render government gun confiscation useless. Decentralized digital currencies enable workarounds to government-manipulated currencies. Local communities reject mass surveillance. Entire states rebel against federal government overreach. Spiritual faith and strength in family supplant the government's mandated political correctness. A robust American culture rises to destroy the New World Order religion, destroying society today. In other words, J.B. Shirk says, What is natural returns and grows again, and what is unnatural dies from its own poisonous contradictions. Now listen to this next part closely, because this is where the rubber meets the road for people like you and me. Fighting back always starts with a little flick of light, a little sand in the gears, a little disobedience, and a little outright defiance. A few become some who become many. And as more and more people awaken, the light of all that resistance becomes just too bright for communism's dark defenders to hide. So says J.B. Shirk, marvelous, marvelous article. By the way, I'm following this up with another one. I won't have time to get to this one in the show today, but uh, Dr. Brian Jundef, writing for, I believe this is for the uh, AmericanThinker.com, talks about how we're supposed to be living in this never-ending state of make-believe. And there's no stronger evidence of this than the fact that right now, as we speak, things are being redefined on the fly. Why? Well, because if we try to turn to definitions of things, some of those definitions may not support the reality that uh, those in power would like us to consider. Which is why we're not really in a recession. Well, why is that? Well, they uh, redefined recession so that whatever we're in, well, that's not it. Okay. Oh, by the way, they also redefined the word definition. (laughs) To take it from something that, you know, a a concrete uh, concept or idea. No, it's a fluid sort of thing. The changes according to the political needs, apparently. What crazy times. This is The Brian Hyde Show.